Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guests today are Emily Sikorsi and Justin Foster. Emily and Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Henry. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. I, I've uh, been looking forward to the conversation as we were chatting about before we started recording our my good friend, and, and of course, you've been on her show, Joan Sotkin, uh, connected us. So thanks to Joan for that. Uh, on today's episode, Emily and Justin are going to share their entrepreneurial journey. We'll chat about that briefly. But then we're going to dive into one of their areas of expertise and one of the things they do with their current firm, and that is to tell the story of your brand. We've talked about branding many times on this show, but it's always good to have a different perspective and a different approach to it, especially, especially this concept of telling the story of your brand as a small business owner or as a solopreneur. Uh, if you want to receive more information about the How of Business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996, and I'll send you a text with more information. So let me tell you about Emily and Justin. Emily specializes in collaborating with leaders and teams to build brands rich with meaning and connection. She helps her clients uncover real relevant brands with leaders who believe branding is first a spiritual experience. She also coaches leaders on the articulation and creation of their brand. Emily, very interesting as we're going to get into it. She studied English and communications and writing in school throughout her college career. Then she enjoyed a successful career in the corporate world, I believe, uh, before she launched her first company. Justin, similarly, uh, he believes that nothing matters until you connect to your heart from a branding perspective in particular. Along a journey that started on a cattle ranch in eastern Oregon to 50 states and six countries, he has worked with leaders of every sector and industry to discover their truth and convert it into vibrant, relevant brands. And so Emily and Justin are the co-founders of the branding practice Root and River. Emily lives in Scottsdale. Is that right, Emily? Yes, it is. And Justin is in Austin, right? Correct. Wonderful. So with all that said, Emily Sikorsi and Justin Foster, welcome to the show. Yay. Great to be here. Thanks, Henry. Wonderful, wonderful. So um, I want to start, I thought maybe I'd start with Emily as far as the journey goes, as I was looking through your impressive education, Emily. Um, I'm always curious when you were going through that time, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? Well, I always wanted to incorporate a lot of my creative spirit into whatever I did. Um, so the first thing I wanted to be was an actress. That was early huh. days. <laughs> and then I always have had a love for language and growing up, my father who was in sales, um, used to tell me even as a young child that I am able to articulate my emotions better than any other human being he's ever met. And so that's something that really stayed with me in the back of my mind, I would say. And, um, and then kind of came to the fore as I began my career in um, first very early days, again, education, and then moved into journalism. Um, so it's always been my gift to convert feelings into words. And I think it's been a really interesting journey for me to iterate that in various venues, various opportunities, but at the heart of it, that's really what I am. I'm kind of a word alchemist. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and a, and a lover of people. So I'm bringing those, those things together and, and the work I'm doing now with Root and River and also adding in some of my, I'm an artist as well. So add in a little bit of the visual arts. Yeah. You know, it's, it, as we're talking about, and we're going to focus on the, the story of the brand, I've come to understand and believe, and I'm, I'm wondering if you agree, that, that so much of it is you learn that storytelling ability, especially through your nonfiction writing probably, but all, all the communications techniques and skills that you developed, that has to really apply to how you teach people tell the story of the brand to some extent, does it not? Absolutely. I say that everything I learned in, in journalism, all the skills, questions, uh, being able to ask a great question, being an observer of events as they unfold, taking quotations from people are really at play every day in what I do in, in branding. Um, and so I, I, I use all of those skills to tell the story of first of, of the leader's impulse or instinct for creating a business mm -hmm. and then in how that business is made real every day. Mm -hmm. Those are all very key and very interesting stories to us as human beings. Yeah. You made specifically the point that your dad said you were good at communicating emotions, not just that you were a good talker. Mm -hmm. Is that, was that purposeful and is that, you think relates to now teaching people to really come through with the, the real belief, what's at the core of what they believe and communicating mm -hmm. that through their brand? Yes. I, I'm glad you pointed that out, Henry, because it's a very specific, I, I believe it's very specific skill. Like it's not just about listening. It's about being plugged into my own intuition and my own uh, ability to sense people's feelings and what they're really trying to communicate underneath the words. And it's something that has just been a natural gift of mine. Um, and to be able to take that and form that into language that then conveys that, it's a great relief for people to be able to do that. And I'm so happy to use that skill to help people, to serve people in that way. And I think what it does is it brings together different disparate parts of ourselves. So um, we think sometimes we have this linear thinking where we're, we think very dualistically, I'm a business person in one area of my life and then I have this personal life and all these feelings. When in reality, we're all connected. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that this bridge I create, taking emotions and moving them into words, helps people bring those worlds together. At least I really hope so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And Justin, for yourself, I think you started out in a sales career and some other positions. Just tell me about the, your early career. Yeah. I, um, I, I'd never finished college um, after a couple of attempts of, of it, but I, I started life early. I got married young, had my first, my, our first son when I was 21 and I just wanted to work. And, um, I remember specifically as a, as a young father, 21 years old, and I didn't have any real skills that I, and I joined a Toastmasters group because I thought, well, you know, at least I should learn how to speak. And I turned out, it turned out I was really good at it. And that led to me convincing a local office supply company to give me a job that was a hundred percent commission. And, uh, and that was the launch of my career. And I spent nine, nine years in sales. And as far as I know, I'm sure there's exceptions to this. I'm the only branding guy that came out of sales. Huh. Um, and that led to another moment when I was part of another group of guys. And my job was just rainmaker. I wasn't a strategist. And we had found out that some things were happening that were questionable with one of our co-founders. And we had him removed from the partnership. And we had a big client session the next day. And they'd already paid us a deposit and I said, I'll do it. I'll lead the session. And that was another pivotal moment in kind of moving me along what I often refer to as my accidental career in branding. 
Yeah, very interesting. I also did not finish college, so I'm always curious when others share that as well. As to looking back now, where do you think it uh, was a detriment to you? It held you back? And, and on the other side, where do you think it ended up being an advantage? That's a good question. I've often pondered that. Um, you know, I think it held me back more than anything related to kind of a perpetual insecurity about my intellect. And it felt like a loose end for years that I was somewhat ashamed of until maybe, you know, seven, eight years ago. And then I just decided to embrace it. Um, I think the main advantage that I have from not finishing college is that I am very self-taught and I don't have any real formula type learning. I don't have any classroom, a very little classroom style learning. And I'm, I'm not saying that's the only thing that matters, but it does help me see the world a little bit differently than I've noticed than folks that have had um, a lot of higher ed. Yeah, yeah, I can completely relate to that. I went through that as well. You know, early in my career in sales as well, and sales is a great place to land for a lot of us who don't have that college degree because it, if you can do it, right, then, then the people don't, don't, don't care so much that you don't have a degree. But I worked with everybody around me had at least a bachelor's, if not more, and there was that insecurity as well. I think it, for me, it drove me to, I think, somewhat overachieve, overcompensate, which is good and bad. Yeah, yeah. Good and bad. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of that. Like I ran on, you know, for 25 years, I ran on resentment. Like I ran on, I will show you. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And that who I was showing was, you know, anybody that doubted me. Right. But, but I realized that I think I'm just going to focus on being happy. And that was around the time Emily and I met. And um, Root and River wasn't even really an idea then. It was more just we, we, the way I would describe it is, when we met, it was, I wonder if this is what it was like when like McCartney and Lennon met, mm. you know, like we just made music like in from a brand and business and cultural standpoint, like our, our voices matched so well, the very, yeah. very different backgrounds, very different backgrounds, very different personalities even, but this deep, deep, soulful um, love of language, love of expression, um, uh, a deep spirit of defiance. Um, those were things that began to unify us early on in our, what initially was a, a, a friendship and, and then Emily was a client of mine for about a six month period in 2014 before she made the foolish decision to, take <laughs> us to partner with me on a couple projects. <laughs> I see. Got it. That, that's incredible. All right. So Root and River was not your first business. Is that right, Justin? That's correct. Yeah. My first business was a marketing company that we launched in 2003 called Blue Line. That was my first business and it failed. And I learned a lot from that. <laughs> when it failed, did you, um, did you feel like, well, that, that's, my, that's my attempt. I'll go back to the corporate world or a sales job somewhere. No, I went the other way. I doubled down and um, I learned, took the lessons from it. And I started another company called Tricycle and I had um, a really good business partner that we're, I'm still dear friends with today. Um, and I learned the lessons from that too. And I actually ended up just not doing that business anymore I, because I didn't really want to own an ad agency. Once I let my ego settle down, I realized that most of owning an ad agency was just because it made me feel important. Okay. Interesting. All right, so what, what drove you then to drive you now to continue fighting for being an entrepreneur? I don't know what else I would do, Henry. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm 48 years old. Um, this is this work I'm doing with Emily is the longest I've ever done anything. We're coming up on, you know, five years as creative partners and four years as business partners. And we just passed four years as business partners. And 
this is the this is it's similar to the feeling I had when I moved to Austin or I came to Austin the first time in 2012, which is I felt like my soul was home. Like, ah, oh, this is where I belong. And this work I do with Emily and our team, um, Jen and Kat and our some of our strategic partners, I feel perfectly aligned or harmonious symmetry between my what 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 feeds me mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And I really feel like this direct alignment between my mission on this planet and the work that we're doing. They're very aligned. That's amazing. All right. All right. So, so Emily, I want to go back to you. What, what was your first business venture? Well, I grew up in a family that was very um, loving and expressive, and we would have holidays together. And everyone, particularly around this time of year, Valentine's Day, we had to exchange Valentines. And I noticed that my three brothers were oftentimes scrambling around to put together these little cards. So I think I was around eight years old, and I decided to start a business called Pictures and Cards hmm. so I could sell my brothers cards when they needed them. Interesting. <laughs> So that was first business. Um, and then in 2011, I um, was working in a PR agency and I had left journalism uh, two years before, two and a half years before. And at that time, I decided to step out onto my own. And I really did it just, um, I did it for independence to own my own time was my driver, Henry at the time. And I thought I would just sort of see who called me and who showed up. I had obviously tremendous communication um, contacts in the communications field and in the PR space and with some local businesses. And I figured I had this beautiful um, tool set of a lot of different abilities and, and I would just leverage those for clients as they needed them, whether that was social media or marketing. And so it was just, it was a sole proprietorship, and which I still, which I still have called MJoy Inc. So um, yeah, that was my first venture. Although at the time I thought, well, this isn't a business. I'm just, I kind of had this idea. I was trying to trick myself because it was really scary uh, to, to step out onto my own in a lot of ways. But um, I just thought I will, I'll just help people. And that's how my first entrepreneurial, real, real entrepreneurial experience began. Emily and Justin, I'm curious, then you, you've touched on it a little bit, but to what led to you all coming together then to form Root and River? If I got it right, Emily was a client of yours. Justin, is that right? Yeah, it, she was a client of mine introduced by a fellow or a, a person we both knew that was my mentor, um, has been my mentor for a number of years. And we met at a conference in January of 2014. And well, Emily, you can pick it up from there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so Justin was doing brand consulting at the time, and I had just been put in, the, in a position as the vice president of corporate communication for a human behavioral research company, hmm. and was really had spent about a year trying to get my arms around the brand and simplify the story that we were telling, um, and was was making a decent progress, but I think Justin and I, our first collaboration was really around how he could help me further that and, and get all, all the parties that needed to be, you know, adding ingredients to that, uh, to that pot in the room and get those ingredients out and, and in the discussion. And so essentially I hired him to come in and help me with that. Uh, he was obviously super brilliant and really adept at, at bringing people together and challenging them so that we do this better. How could we improve? So I really became intrigued right away with what he was doing. And at the same time, we had this shared passion around brand as a means of expressing something spiritual, deeper, and also 
adding a little bit of art and heart into it. So mm-hmm. that was our first connection. And that was that collaboration, me being his client, or as I like to say, him working for me <laughs> <laughs> was this was the very, very beginning of Root and River. I see. And where does the name come from? Well, we were we decided in um, early 2015 to make a go at, at starting a new type of uh, branding practice that was the embodiment of our beliefs and principles around branding. And we were visiting one day and, and we were talking about, well, where does a brand come from? You know, we, we had this idea that it, it, it came, we knew it came from sort of a cosmic place. Like it wasn't just this external construct that you cooked up in an ad agency's board, uh, conference room. And one of us, we don't remember who, one of us talked about the root. Well, brands have a root. And then we're like, well, where's that at? And we're like, well, it's in the soul or heart of the leader. And that just felt right. Like, okay, uh, that's good. And we, we had also agreed that we needed two names that were as close to alliterative or balanced as possible. It was very important to me that we were seen as by the outside world as 50-50 partners. Mm. So we couldn't do the Secorsi Foster Foster Secorsi. <laughs> uh, and so one of us again asked, well, then what happens? And I think one of us said, what flows out into the world like a river? And then we said root and river. And then we jumped on GoDaddy and it, the domain was available and we wow. bought it and off we went. Yeah. And is it root river or root and river? It's root and river. Okay. That's what I thought. All right. Got it. Very interesting. Interesting story. All right. Let's, let's start diving into it. I, I want to start, you know, at the high level, two questions to kind of get us started. Define what you mean by brand. So our definition of brand is the way other people experience what you believe. And so a lot of people see brand as something very static. Uh, they associate logo, visual representation with brand. And that's certainly one of the iterations, but really on a deeper level in 2019, brand is a complete experience. And it is essentially your intrinsic set of beliefs being lived out every day in your behavior first, primarily as a leader or as a member of an organization. And then that echoes out that ripples out to create an experience of an entire brand. I love that. And then telling, when we say we're going to tell the story of the brand, what are we talking about there? Well, that has three elements to it uh, that really, if you reverse engineer back from the old school term for brand, which is perception, uh, how you're perceived in the marketplace or Mm -hmm. name recognition, kind of the old ad, you know, that madman view of branding, we would call that reputation because reputation is the fruit of character. And the brand story is made up of this, essentially the spirit of the brand, which is the mission and the beliefs, the, in, the stuff that's beneath the soil that Emily was just talking about. And then it's some sort of point of view or message. Um, it's the, 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 not just the slogan. It, uh, if you notice, all, very few great brands these days use a slogan, but you know exactly what their message is through the language that they use. And they, and they own a special place of point of view. So point of view or positioning or category, whatever you want to call it, is a second element of the brand story. And the final is there's some sort of platform or machine. There's a way to access your brand. And that could, for most businesses, it's their business model combined with their internal culture and the overall customer experience. Not all brands have those three same elements, but mm-hmm. every brand has some sort of machine that is amplifying the truth 
of their message and their mission. Mm -hmm. And what, what is it that you have observed from your perspective that has required this change from articulating an experience versus the perception that we used to focus on? Yeah, so post-World War II and the post-World War II era, we saw this rise of the, the ad age. Mm -hmm. And certainly if you're a fan of, of um, I, the name of that show just went away. Mad Men. Mad Men. I'm a big fan of Mad Men, yes. Oh, perfect. Right. So we saw this, this, the, this advertising industry that sprang up, and it was mostly around this ideas of manipulation mm -hmm. and coercion around a manufactured reality. So we get the Marlboro man and we get Betty Crocker and the use of emotions to really manipulate the audience into pursuing an ideal and associating that with a name was sort of the methodology. And all that really mattered was the perception. It didn't matter what was going on behind those, those beautiful glass doors. Didn't really matter the internal stuff. Well, that's no longer possible in the 21st century because all of that, we are in a fishbowl era. All of what's going on inside is going to be revealed. And we've evolved as human beings. And we believe, Justin and I believe that when we can internally locate, articulate that root system and then get it articulated and in practice every day, we are able to now to brand from an area of inspiration and then invitation, invita inviting people to come in and experience the brand. So there is no need now for manufactured reality or co coercion or manipulation as much as just reflecting out what this brand represents and what it stands for. So that's why things are shifting more and more in this direction. We have the rise of B Corps. We have um, the rise of nonprofits and even entrepreneurialism, this desire to work as we live and to be very aligned around our purpose and also the, the, what we're creating, the change we're creating in the world. Uh, and yet what, what I struggle with, so I'm following you there, however, where, where I struggle with sometimes, and especially on this topic of branding, as I try to translate it to me as a very small business owner, is that I still think I'm observing larger corporations in particular do more traditional, as I would call it, branding. If I, you know, if I see the, the, the Lincoln commercial yeah. uh, with uh, whatever that starts. Matthew, Matthew McConaughey. Matthew yeah. McConaughey. But I, I, I was, that's where I was going. And I thought, well, I guess maybe he is creating an inspiration and an invitation to try that, to try that lifestyle. But that's, but do you get where that's where I get lost right. a little bit other small yeah. business owners because we get confused about, am I supposed to be doing that kind of marketing? Yeah, I, I think there's some other models. If we're going to look at big business, um, the, you look at the companies that don't advertise, first of all. Look at the dominance of Starbucks with minimal advertising. Look at Google. The Google spends pennies uh, in comparison to their revenue on advertising. And look at what they've done. And one of the things that they've done is they, they become the category king of whatever they're doing. There's only one Google. There's only one Starbucks. Mm -hmm. There's really not a number two for Google. And for as far as an international coffee chain, there's no number two except on the East Coast. I guess it would be Duncan. But if you've ever had Dunkin' coffee compared to the Starbucks coffee, there's a big difference. Mm -hmm. um, and so, there, but there are some examples, Henry, of, of brands that are doing it the way it, they're, in their marketing that we, we feel a kinship with. Uh, Nike and the Kaepernick ad. 
regardless of the political side of it, that a giant multi-billion dollar global corporation would take that type of stand using their marketing platform, back to that platform idea, is really, really awesome. Gillette with their uh, masculinity ad, um, and then Patagonia using ad placement, spending actual ad dollars, media placement to challenge Trump on some of his uh, land use uh, policies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And those are political in nature because taking a brand, taking a stand is, is good for your brand generally. Um, but they are, it goes to something that we say, regardless of the size of your brand and that, and everyone, every leader, every person, every human's a brand unto themselves. And then if you're a small business owner, you have your brand, your personal brand and your business brand, all of it is just basically how the outside world experiences your inside world. Mm -hmm. That's really it. And so, so we are returning we are, we, are, we are inviting leaders. Our, our mission is to inspire leaders to go inward. Um, we're inviting leaders to return to much more of an agrarian view of brand, which is you reap what you sow. Know thyself. Go inward before you go outward. These ancient principles that go all the way back to when you know, humans first started writing down what they believed. And if you do that inner work, then the outer work of your marketing, your customer experience, all these other elements, it has a resonance of truth to it. It has a, tone, a tonality about it that people go, oh, that's real. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, as I'm thinking through that, Justin, one of, one of the areas I think where then we get disconnected on that as small business owners, if, if the business that I started or bought or whatever wasn't really a niche from the start in alignment with what I truly believe, then it's going to be hard for me to really have that congruency that's necessary if I'm following you to have a brand that's based on my core beliefs. Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, well, so, because well, a lot of times what we're driven by as small business owners, as much as we're told it's not about the money, it's about the money, right? So um, do you find that that's a particular challenge when you're working with a small business owner with when their personal and core beliefs are not necessarily completely in alignment with their business that they happen to be in at the moment in time? Yeah, I don't, and you speak more to this, eloquently than I do, but I'll just say my piece of it is I don't think any of us are desi designed to live a split life, especially if we're self-employed. I think that era is over. And I think that if you live your beliefs out, regardless of what those beliefs are, they could be like universal, big, ancient things like love and truth, or maybe, you, maybe you're a Democrat or Republican, you're, you're, you're a Christian or you're a, an atheist, whatever you are, if you're true to yourself and you show up in the world as your true self, then the market responds. The, there is a market for people that will go, I want to do business with you because of the way you make me feel. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think, I think that closing that gap between the business version of ourselves and the personal real version of ourselves, we want that gap to be as narrow as possible because that's where authentic authenticity comes from. Yeah. 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 I'm following you. I think the other thing that happens though, as I talk to small business owners is there's a hesitancy to want to show ourselves. We, we kind of want to hide behind the business for all kinds of different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, what do you say to that? Well, I would just challenge the idea that, Oh, I'm just doing this for money. I think that's what the story that we're supposed to be telling and I think the deeper truth is anyone who's choosing to go into business for themselves, they are taking this, this risk and they are 
putting themselves out there, whether that is in an insurance practice, whether that is in um, maybe some kind of a therapeutic practice, whatever the, the capitalistic mechanism is, it's a deep choice and it's a conscious choice and it reflects something of your beliefs. Now, Justin listed off some sort of more mainstream beliefs, but we're talking about beliefs of like sovereignty, that somebody who chooses to go into business for themselves to be an entrepreneur, and as you said earlier, Henry, to, to fight the battle of entrepreneurship, they have some deep-seated beliefs around, I would guess, sovereignty, independence, that they are iterating through this business. Right, right. And that's really what we're, that's what we inspiring leaders to look at that and nobody buys anything based really from a neurological standpoint and research is bearing this out over and over again. Nobody buys anything because of this left brain logical argument. Those decisions, whether or not to do business with someone are made in the pre-verbal, in the visual and the emotional center of the brain. Okay. And right. so brand is so relevant for small business owners because you have this major advantage to make that impression personally and to present yourself in a, in a very, very rapidly to gain that trust and to move the conversation forward into what you're, you're exchanging for value or selling. Yeah, it's a great point. We have that opportunity versus, you know, a CEO of a large corporation, it's going to come across somewhat fake, right? Uh, but I truly am at my business. I truly am engaged with my clients and as a small business owner or have the opportunity to be so. Correct. This is Henry Lopez. Let's take a quick pause on this episode to chat about your small business dreams. Do you have a great business idea, but have just not been able to get it launched? Have you built a successful corporate career, but need some help making the transition to entrepreneurship? Are you ready to start building your own wealth instead of someone else's? I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. Just text bizcoach, altogether bizcoach, to 31996 for more information. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business dreams and goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to launch our first business. As an experienced entrepreneur who also made the difficult transition from the corporate world, I understand the challenges you're facing and often it's about helping you ask the right questions so that you can make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you through your transition to becoming your own boss. To find out more or to schedule your free coaching session, just text BizCoach to 31996 now. That's B-I-Z-C-O-A-C-H, BizCoach, to 31996. Or visit thehowabusiness.com. All right, so let's let's dig a little bit deeper on the beliefs. You talk about five core beliefs. I was I was thinking maybe we could just highlight those at a high level and, and start there as we dig into that a little bit more. Well, in uh, our, the, the essence of what we do is called brand discovery, okay. and it's a 90-day immersion into the brand where the anchor, kind of the flagship experience is what's called a root session. And in the root session, in the, we, we dig into mission, which our definition of mission is the thing you're here to do that only you can do. Um, and that could be your personal mission, or if you're part of a larger organization, the business mission, but it is not a mission statement. You know, mission statements are usually just evidence that you had a committee that came up with something that nobody likes. <laughs> uh, so it's the mission, the thing that you get up in the morning and go to work to do, that, that drive. 
And then there's this element of that mission that is beneath the surface uh, around beliefs. And we refer to these, this is why we call what we do an intrinsic practice or intrinsic branding practice. We refer to these as intrinsic beliefs. So bear with me for a minute while I separate the two. So extrinsic beliefs are beliefs that were taught from parents, mentors, teachers, preachers, you know, society. Like I was taught that Chevys were good and Fords were bad growing <laughs> up on a ranch. Uh, so that's an extrinsic belief. An intrinsic belief is something that we believe is part of, a, similar to a person's, what Carl Jung referred to as their true self. Mm. It's part of their intrinsic nature, their core true being. And we have, so we do this extraction process where we determine what those five beliefs are. And we've done that with ourselves. We believe in things like, uh, we believe in things like defiance or beauty and, you know, we, these, we, you know, we want to take our own medicine. Um, but those beliefs become the root system of the brand and because they inform everything else that appears above the soil, um, which is how the world experiences those beliefs. Justin, and so did, do you, when you and Emily got together first, did you, did you identify that those intrinsic beliefs had to be in alignment? Yes. Well, we first, we have our own sovereign um, set of intrinsic beliefs and then there's a shared set for Root and River. I see. And they are very much in alignment. Okay. And that's how you work then, of course, with people who are in partnership to make sure that they can work together to effectively communicate a brand for the business. Correct. Yeah. And when we do a large group, like we were just uh, up in Moorhead, Minnesota and facilitated a root session for, I think, what, 21 people were there, something like that. What we're doing there is less about the deep, deep inner work because, you know, there's only so much time. Um, but there is a, if you do that inner work, you realize there's a lot of commonality, that culture is not accidental. Uh, that that talk, like if you have a toxic culture, it's not just the behavior, it's the values misalignment of mm. a culture. So in this case, cultural alignment was good, but they didn't realize that how much they had in common. Um, and it's so it's always like this moment of, there's a, there's a lot of tears shed in a root session when you find out what your mission is or you finally can articulate and then your belief system that is you know sacred to you. That's why one of the questions that we use to kind of suss out the, it coax out the, the beliefs are, what are you willing to commit civil disobedience over? Mm, okay. Well, that's a powerful question because, but if you look at it, all, all entrepreneurs in particular really are defiers. They are mm -hmm. pushing back against orthodoxy and if you're going to do that, then we should be looking at like Rosa Parks and Gandhi, not necessarily just, you know, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. Yeah, I love that. I'm writing that down because I'm going to ask you in a moment for another, a couple other examples of those questions. But it seems to me like part of what must happen when, when you do get down to those core beliefs as a group, it then must open you up to say, okay, we're on the same, we, we have the same path, we're on the same path. We may just have different approaches to how to get there and that we can work together on, right? But we're, we're, we're all trying to do the same thing. Does that make sense? Is that part of what gets uncovered in a group session or in a partnership session? Definitely. There's this coming together around this, oh, wow, we are actually all connected at the root. Right. And then the next step is um, identifying the standards in mm. an organization that are actually how the beliefs get lived out every day. And these are not aspirational statements. These are statements of the reflective, the reflection of the culture that's already in existence. And um, they almost are like mantras. 
So, you know, as a, as a Root and River, as a group, we believe in beauty and we try to add art into everything that we do, create every day. So that's our mantra that's associated with that is create every day. And we do that naturally, but that encapsulates that idea. It keeps us in alignment. Again, we're checking as we're taking on projects, as we're working on things, we're checking that we're aligned and that we're living out those standards every day. And is it a culture in a culture that's very powerful to have those standards articulated and lived? Yeah, I love that. That resonates so much with us, with myself and my partner, because that's that's exactly how I articulated. I my one of my goals and aspirations is to create beautiful things. Now, a beautiful thing could be something that uh, anything that I create, something that I write, a new business that we build. It doesn't matter, but I look at it as it's my expression of something that I think is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to go back to, so, because I always like to get some practical tips. You gave me the great example of a question of what am I willing to commit civil disobedience over? Give me another example of a question that a small business owner, let, let's say they're, they're, you know, by themselves, they don't have a partner that they can ask themselves to start getting at those core beliefs that are going to drive their brand. Uh, one is what have you always known to be true? This is, um, you know, to be a modern brander and a modern leader requires some courage to go on and to do the inner work, you know, which was, if you're, you know, a Gen X or a boomer, that was highly discouraged. It was, you know, you leave work at work and home at home and you, right. leave, you, you know, everything's done with, through logic and data. And we're, and we're challenging that. We're saying, well, go inward. And, and when you go inward, the, a natural starting point is what have you always known to be true? Um, and then I think another part of this is from a mission standpoint is examining the dark times, examine, examining the suffering hmm. and the trauma that you've experienced as a human and understand that there might be a lesson in it. And I can't tell you how many of our clients, they finally saw that correlation between maybe something that happened to them in their childhood or early in their career that was, that was really like traumatic where they got into business and they were like, we're not doing it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're, we're all of that inner work type stuff is really a series of introspective questions to go on a treasure hunt. To see what, what really matters to us, what's really at the core of what we believe in. And then, and so I'm assuming then this, this ends up with a, a, a blueprint, a a roadmap for the story, the experience we're going to tell or share with our customers, right? Yes, eventually part of the river or the making it real part is looking at now through this, this, this foundation, how, does, how do we convey that very mindfully to our clients? How do we give them a taste of these standards and what we're doing every day and mapping that out? But we also like to really establish a specific and unique category for our clients. And that's part of the work that goes on during the root session. And that's really designed because in today's world, we are there is a glut of information. We're all bombarded with information. We get 4,000 to 6,000 requests for action every day. Hmm. But so the mind is just jam packed full of information, but we are lacking in, in meaning. The heart is wide open in that meaning. And we try to frack into that space a little bit to create a category that is in alignment with all that foundation. And then also gives the mind something easy to um, latch onto to understand your place and all that cacophony of information. So we work with our clients to establish that as well. 
All right. And then Emily and, and Justin, where, where, where we get lost often as small business owners is how I then translate that, assuming I've done that work, how I then translate that in, in my marketing and advertising. And that's, right. that's where it falls apart right, a lot of times for us. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, go ahead, Justin. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just agreeing. <laughs> I was going to say that um, definitely agree with you that a lot of us as business owners will do some of this deep work and then we have our set of values and we have, you know, our mission and then we set it aside and then we go back to work. Mm. So very rarely do people create that bridge and that bridge is in messaging and that is in creating a message, clarity of message, what we call a root belief, but it's a why, what, how of that ties in all of these concepts and makes a statement for the world about what you believe. This is what Simon Sinek referred to in Start With Why and all of his work. But we're, we're really helping our clients make it real by creating this message that's not just a little slogan that goes on a flyer, but it is the way you speak. So the most effective way to market is always going to be word of mouth. But if you are not consciously aware of the words coming out of your mouth and how they are tied into that root system, you will not be as effective as you could be. So we create that bridge with messaging and then we coach our clients to practice branding every day in conversations using the messaging daily in the experience, in the casual conversation with their barista, in the proposal that you're writing for your biggest client to date. Yeah. And that's how it's made real. Yeah. Yeah, and we would, we would yeah. also add to that, Henry, that we, to give order or structure, so to kind of recodify or recalibrate a entrepreneur or small business owner's mind about marketing, is there's really only three buckets to worry about. Now, those buckets might be bigger for some than others, and that is your relationships. Your, the, and your relationships, the first with yourself. Self-care is paramount because how you treat yourself uh, eventually ends up with how your employees treat your customers. Um, and so a leader that's disconnected from themselves and it, it doesn't practice self-care, it hurts the brand eventually and sometimes quickly. Um, so then you have your relationships with your team, your partner, certainly your client relationships, but then out in the community. So that's bucket number one. And there needs to be intentionality around that. You need to be willing to be the face of the brand in the relationships that you're that are in your life. Um, the second one is experiences, and we've touched on that a lot in our visit here. That, but looking for every touch point in the brand where there is an opportunity to create delight mm. and go own that, because most of delight creation in business is free. What you don't have to spend money to make people happy. Um, you really, it's, you have to spend attention and awareness so you can see it. And then you can do things that are just delightful unto themselves. And then finally is content. And of course, that's the static content of your website and your marketing materials, which we keep, we believe you keep very lean. And the rest of it is telling your story mm -hmm. everywhere you go, every chance you get, you tell your story. So for example, in our sessions with our clients, one of the tools that comes out of this, our work is something called an open letter. It's essentially you're mm. coming out as a brand. Like, this is what we believe. This is who we are. This is what we do and why we're awesome at it. Um, tools like a stump speech. So any entrepreneur, any business leader, any small business owner can go take their core idea, core beliefs, and go deliver it in a 20-minute style talk at, you know, the local rotary or whatever. So it's that real practical, go make it real in your relationships, experiences, and content. 
all kind of driven by this idea, and I will give proper credit to my dear friend here in Austin, Andy Cernovitz, that advertising is the price you pay for being boring. Yeah, and, and, I've, and I've heard that before, and I buy it only to a certain level because I'm sure there are people listening. You know, when I had my pizza franchises, um, I had to advertise because it was a market, unfortunately, that I was in that had been driven down to, you know, price-driven, right? It was, a, it was a coupon. It was coupon-driven. Nonetheless, I think we were able to, as I look back, achieve a level of separation because of those other things that we believed in, the quality, the service, uh, the, you know, the care for the customer, how we treated our employees. But I had to balance those two things. I still had to make sure that people had the 1099 special coupon in their hands on Friday or my sales would drop, right? So that's often that challenge as well where I see a lot of people get disconnected is they understand this, but they might end up being in a business where you have a ubiquitous product or service and that's more challenging, is it not? No, you're absolutely right. It is more challenging. We always say strategy first, tactics second. So yes, have tactics, whether that's advertising or, or what have you, traditional coupon advertising or Facebook ads. But think of the strategy first and think about how you're going to convey this foundation and these stories in alignment in, in these tactics. Because mm -hmm. then you get double duty. You get the power of people redeeming the coupon, but the message reinforcement opportunity is also there yeah. to reinforce the quality, to reinforce whatever differentiator you have. And I think for small business owners, it's so easy to get distracted by the tactics and move from tactic to tactic without that strategic um, foundation and, and mooring. And so if that would be, I would love for people to take that away. Just try to orient yourself to strategy first, tactic second. What am I trying to convey in my message? And now let's plug it into this tactic or that tactic because you'll get a better result. Yeah, I, I believe that. All right, we'll start to wrap it up, but we've touched on it. But for small business owners, why do you think it is that it's so hard for us to get clear on our message? I know we've touched on some of these things, but in your experiences, why else is it so hard for, for small business owners to get this? I think it's, for, I think, Henry, it's intentional design. I think that there's this great paradox of humanity, which is we are all sovereign individuals, mm -hmm. but we still need each other. And I think it's an opportunity because you can't look at the back of your own head. This is where coaching, consulting practices, the good ones, where they thrive because they're not prescribing. They're just holding up a mirror and saying, this is what we see. And I just don't think you can see it. It's at a psychological level, it's the curse of knowledge. You know too much about what you know, and you don't know how to then communicate that in a consistent, authentic way to the audience that you're, you know, you're trying to attract. And then that shows up as insecurity. You can always tell when a, a, a brand is insecure because they over-explain everything. Mm. You know, there's pages of web copy and they, you know, long proposals and because they're insecure about what they really want to say. So that's why we say in this kind of a takeaway from this idea of message is start with what you really want to say. Start with the unvarnished, unfiltered, you know, truth. What we sometimes say is, to take, you know, imagine, or actually literally if you want, drink two shots of tequila on an empty stomach and then talk about your brand. <laughs> because the truth, you can start with the truth and then refine it and make it consumable from there. If you start with, well, what do I need to say in order for people to like me? Then you are in a doom loop of frustration that will last the length of your business. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense, Justin. I think it's also that um, we, we think we know we're supposed to mimic mm. the big, large corporate world, especially, the, you know, the yesterday world where, where we tr- pretend to be this thing that we're not. Um, and we're afraid to let us shine through as the business owner to some extent. Does that make sense? Absolutely correct. And, you know, we, to broaden your appeal, you must narrow your focus, but that requires that confidence of really it being your focus and putting it out there. So we ask our clients to be pretty courageous when we're, mm. we're asking them to use these messages that are so deeply held. Yeah. Um, but in or- we think in mar- and branding and marketing that we have to appeal to everyone and we don't. That's right. We think we have to bring everybody in, but it's actually branding is much more about repulsion than it is about attraction. So it's repelling the people that are not a good fit for your business. And this is so important for small businesses because we don't have endless resources to filter through. So if we can repel the people that are going to be a drain on our time and our resources and not a good match for what we believe at the earliest stages, that is a wonderful filter because mm-hmm. now the people who are coming in and having those conversations with us are already pre-qualified, so to speak. They're going to be great alignment and they're going to bring us more business because they're going to have a great experience, a resonant experience, an aligned experience with us, and it will grow our business. Agreed. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it also touches on, Emily, what you had mentioned earlier. As entrepreneurs, that's 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 the ultimate thing we're most scared about is we're putting ourselves out there, our, our creative selves and however it might manifest itself in our particular business. And we're always afraid of that getting shut down or rejected. So I think it's sometimes as small business owners, we hide behind our storefront or our supposed brand or our product because of that, that fear of somebody saying, I don't like you. you know? mm-hmm. But again, we're not trying to make everybody like us. We're finding our tribe, our group of people, right? Right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we say, you know, the biggest change that an existing small business owner will have to make with their brand is to organize around it. It's not Mm. the candy wrapper. It's the juicy middle. Mm. The business model is temporary. Somebody's going to do it cheaper, faster and better than you, but they can't be your brand if you do the brand right. So you look at like longtime brands like Disney. Disney Disney has never organized their brand around their business model. Um, they've organized their brand around their brand. Mm-hmm. And um, that gives you flexibility in the marketplace as changes happen and trends happen. But that's a big leap because most people, especially if they're Gen Xers and boomers, have a fairly static knowledge set when it comes to brand. And that's what drives us to be on podcasts and do our brand labs and give our speeches is we're teaching uh, business leaders and small business owners to upgrade their knowledge set on what branding really is with really one goal, which is you have the answer inside of you. You know what to do. It just takes a bit of wisdom, grace, and courage to get there. Wonderful. All right. Uh, summarize for us then the services that you all offer your clients. So we offer our clients brand discovery, and that's a process that we walk through together. It's very collaborative, but we take you from the state of being unclear about what all the foundation is and not knowing the message to being able to practice the message in everyday conversations in order to trigger that law of attraction and repulsion and grow their business. So it's very, the deep dive in and the root session, which is at the center of that engagement, is very spiritual. And then as we move out of that and we do coaching, it is very practical and it is immediately implementable. 
And that scales for larger businesses. We tell them to plan to work with us for a year or two. Enable, so that enables us to be able to really hone into those standards, make them part of the culture, and really to help them scale their business for their mission. And that's the work that we do with larger organizations. But you also work with small businesses as well, right? Correct, yes. Okay, okay. Um, we work with small businesses given that same brand discovery layout, and we, we work with partnerships. We love to work with partnerships, as since we're a partnership, there's a lot of alignment there. And solopreneurs as well, help them get clear on their message so that they can accelerate their growth, both from a mission standpoint and from a monetization standpoint. And Henry, I would say what people are really buying, really buying when they work with us is that confidence that in any conversation the rest of their life, that feeling of insecurity about what to say will go away. Okay. That's what they're really buying because then everything else trickles down from there. How it shows up on your website, marketing decisions and, and, um, and, and, and that, and, and the, and the great secret, great and glorious secret of it is that the answer was in them all along. It just mm -hmm. took, it just takes uh, some archeological psychology to get to it. Mm -hmm. uh, do you find, do you find sometimes, you. Justin, going back to the point I was trying to get at earlier, but I wasn't articulating it very well. Do you find after you do that work with some people that they realize I have the wrong business or I'm in the wrong business? Yeah, sometimes. Um, especially if they're, especially if they're, um, I don't know if they're in, if they're in the wrong business. It, I just think that they never. Most people have never made the direct link between their belief system and mission and mm. the business that they're in. Maybe they're playing the wrong role in the business. Does that right. happen? Could be yep. A wrong role, or maybe there's something that is that that they felt like their like their passion project had to be like a side thing, and they didn't know how to incorporate it into the business. Okay. Um, when we when we do we also do personal branding for corporate leaders, um, and. I would say there's a pretty high, per, decent percentage of them that when they work with us, they're like, I don't belong here. And they go someplace else, hmm. but not so much where it's a business owner that goes, Oh, I don't want to sell, do pizzas anymore. I'm going to go do, you mm -hmm. know, an art gallery. Yeah. Um, it just changes their thinking about their business and makes it much more an extension of their belief system. Okay. That makes I think, sense. I think it allows them to, to integrate like you, like Justin's trying to say, like if they, they have something that they're, that they've put to the side it oftentimes helps them integrate that into the business in yeah. a more direct way. And so it, it actually gives them a lot of relief. I think more often than they go, oh, I'm in the wrong business. They're like, oh, I see how this is really actually is part of my mission. And I see how I can integrate it more. And I can tell the stories about how we also go volunteer at the food bank. You know, and they just have, they have relief that they don't have to keep these two things separate anymore. Yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. All right, books. I'm always looking for a book recommendation. Is there a book that you would recommend to us? Well, based on our conversation today, I would definitely recommend Rejection Proof by Jai Jing. Um, it's J-A-J-I-A-J-I-A-N-G. And for those, we're, we are so afraid of rejection, as, as you brought up, Henry. But this is somebody who went out and intentionally got rejected just to get over that feeling. And he's also got some great videos on YouTube showing these instances of being rejected. Mm. But it's about overcoming the fear of rejection. And I think that it's a really interesting read for anyone who's interested. And mine, mine Henry would be, um, we're, we're in a, we're, we're in a kind of a chaotic world in a chaotic time. And so I think as business owners in particular, we're, 
we need to upgrade our mental models and, um, because the old ways of doing things are, are, you know, like you said, they're yesterday. I like that term, yesterday's world. So the book I recommend is Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. And I think that each of the 12 rules that Dr. Peterson talks about are directly related to entrepreneurial life. He didn't write it that way, but that's how I translated it as I read it. Great. Thank you for those recommendations. I have not read either of those. Um, we'll have links to those two books on the show notes page for this episode, and you can find that at thehowofbusiness.com. All right, last two questions. What's, what's one thing each of you wants us to take away from this conversation that we've had about branding, especially, of course, from a small business owner perspective? I think it's probably this idea that when you narrow your focus, you can broaden your appeal and that the, the bridge between what you believe and then the running of your business is in the message. So, you know, getting to that place where you are, are able to repel and attract and be focused enough to do that, it's going to happen in that message. And it's not a slogan, but it is something that is deeply rooted in, in what you believe. What I would hope people would think about that some more. And I would say that the takeaway would, here would be humility is a great character trait, but a terrible brand strategy. Hmm. Um, and that it's okay to own what makes you different and unique. And it's okay to, it's, it's more than okay to be awesome, to be what I call bacon and go show up in the world as your true self. And especially when you combine the two, take you know, the message and, and narrowing your focus to, to, you know, that idea, I think you get, you just show up differently. It releases some sort of like uh, business or brand or cosmic pheromone that people go, oh, that's different. And that's mm -hmm. what you want. Yeah. You want them to go, that's different. Right. Excellent. All right. Where would you like us to go online to find out more? You can go to Root and River, all spelled out, all one word, R-O-O-T-A-N-D, river.com. And also our personal social handles. Mine is at Emily at large. And mine's at Foster Thinking. And then we are also very prolific on um, our Root and River feed as well, which is Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, is just look for Root and River. And um, yeah. Great, perfect. And if you didn't get to catch that because you're listening at the gym like I do, we'll have links to them on the show notes page for this episode. Emily and Justin, thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks for uh, the patience with the technical issues. And we've gotten a little long here, but this has been such a great conversation. I've gotten a lot out of it. So thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Absolutely. It was super fun. You're welcome. It was great. This is Henry Lopez. And thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guests today, again, were Emily Sikorsi and Justin Foster. We release new episodes every Monday morning. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, and at our website, thehowabusiness.com. You can also text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to get more information. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.